stop telling kids that they're stupid and start recognizing, as you said, you're not supposed to be good at everything unless you're the top two percenters. About these kids that spend all their time to get straight A's and then they graduate high school with no social skills and no networking skills and no element of fun and no element of you know activities and sports. They're just really boring human beings. So don't make that perfection. Because right. when we make that perfection, we're actually causing a lot of damage. Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast, Hope to Recharge, a show that is designed to bring hope, inspiration, motivation, and some practical tips to those that are battling depression and anxiety, and to those that are supporting loved ones that are going through the journey in this difficult time of depression and anxiety. I'm here to tell you, you are not alone, and we will live beyond depression and anxiety. We will share our stories one story at a time in a world of mental health together is better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. He's actually one of my top 100 lists of when I first was thinking about my podcast two years ago. He was on my top 100 dream people that I want to have on my podcast. And his name is Cameron Harold. Some of you in the business world for sure heard of his name of his programs, of his books. He is the founder of COO Alliance. He has a phenomenal TED Talk that I I must have watched over 10 times. He wrote a bunch of books. Some of them is uh, Vision, Meeting Sock, Double Double, fantastic book, by the way, fantastic. I give it away to a lot of my friends that are entrepreneurs. The Miracle Morning, Wow, with Hal Erod. I saw him on Freedom Fast Lane, which was, was a gathering for entrepreneurs. You spoke beautifully. And, and what was so powerful in that speech to me was the fact that you were so passionate about making money and building businesses and helping others build their businesses. And at the same time, you were so open about mental health, awareness, breaking the stigma and teaching the world that we need to change something because the way it's working now in education is not working and the way we're dealing with mental health is not working. And you were just so gifted. And and I'm like, I need to get to know this guy. So first of all, thank you for joining me here. You're welcome, Matana. Thank you. And really, thank you for for being that loud voice in the world that is very hush-hush about mental health because we need more people like you. Thank you. Yeah, I think now to, to be clear and for everyone who's listening, I'm not a doctor, um, but I've been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. I'm on the spectrum for bipolar disorder and I've been diagnosed with a form of dyslexia called dyscalculia, which is um, where you flip all of your numbers. I, I've struggled with things that are typically called diseases. And I think where my outspokenness comes from is I don't believe they're diseases at all. Um, I believe that they're actually our gifts that we're born exactly the way we're supposed to be born. And if people would stop telling us we have a problem, our confidence level might be higher. But because the doctors and teachers typically don't have bipolar, you don't see a lot of very manic or, or emotional teachers and doctors. You also don't see a lot of very inspirational teachers or very inspirational doctors, they're kind of very flat. Mm. Um, and then we're supposed to be staying so focused and stick to the focus and stay within the lines and, and follow the system. That's because that's what teachers and doctors do, whereas entrepreneurs see everything. Mm. So I, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole right away, but I can definitely talk 
about both the attention deficit disorder and bipolar disorder are not, neither of those are diseases. I think they're both misnamed and I can walk you through why I believe they're strengths. Yeah, that's, I, I love the way that you say it's not a disease and let's take away that, that shame, that stigma, that big, big word, which makes us so scared to talk about it or to be diagnosed, quote unquote, by what we have and just say, this is who I am. This is how I was born. And let me empower myself with my abilities and recognize what I'm not good at. And that's okay. Well, and also recognize what I'm really good at and don't call that a disease. I have a ten as an example, attention deficit disorder. <clears throat> that's how they call it as a disease means I'm very scattered, I see everything, I'm distracted by everything, I notice all kinds of things, I can't focus for long periods of time on one thing, um, and because I'm seeing everything, I'm getting distracted from the thing. Well, the reality in business, there is no thing. There is no one right path. So the fact that I have this attention disbursement, the fact that I see everything, means I see what's happening with the market, the supplier, the customer, I notice the time, I notice the details, I see stuff popping off my website and off spreadsheets. I see opportunities. I listen to the market. I notice trends. Because I'm, I'm seeing everything, I'm noticing everything, and I bring all that everything back to my business. And because I can't focus for long periods of time, I tend to start a lot of things, which gets momentum. And then I get bored of those things because I'm seeing other new exciting things. So I delegate the first things to other people. Well, that momentum creates momentum. And the fact that I get bored and I delegate is what starts a business. But in the, in the, school system, we're supposed to pay attention and study and have the right answer. There is no right answer in business. There's a million possibilities. And if I don't see the million possibilities, then I'll miss it. So I think we have to notice that most of the children that have these ADD signs are not meant to be in a traditional system. And unfortunately, the school system beats them down every day. You know, every day in school, I was told to sit still, pay attention, stop distracting the other kids, which actually means I'm a good leader. If I can get the other kids to follow me, I'm a right. good leader. My mania has the other kids following me, which means I'm a good leader. They were breaking me down as a leader saying there's something wrong with me and I was supposed to be like the kids who wanted to follow me. Maybe I shouldn't be like the kids who want to follow me. Maybe I should let them follow me. You know, I was always told to stop, stop selling stuff in class because it was distracting. But I, in my head, I'm like, they're buying. And right. I understand like, you know, I was learning math faster than they were learning it because I understood how to actually multiply it. Mm. Why do you think, by the way, it's funny, I think you posted this week about Europe, how they're so much more advanced than us in certain countries, and mm. they're actually starting younger to analyze what that kid is good at, putting them in the right track and starting from young age, and it's working out phenomenal for them. Look at America, not working out. The education system is horrible and it's just falling apart. And it's also, it's also routinely. So as an example, I started in kindergarten. I went to school in Ontario in Canada. We had grade 13. So now I'm at 14 years of school and I had four years of university. So I had 18 years of education. In that 18 years of education, I was always getting 60 to 65% on all my tests and all my exams which means no matter how hard I tried, I would be told, you are stupid. Or, you're you are a failure. Right. You're you, failing, right. right. So the message I kept getting was, you're failing, you're failing, you're failing. I can name the kids who are really smart. Danny Rain was really smart. Callum was really smart. Carrie was really smart. David Turcotte was really smart. They always got 95, 95, 95. But I look back and I add up all the really smart kids now. I make way more money than all of them put together. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe I wasn't dumb after all. Maybe I figured out a better way. Maybe right. maybe if the school system had told me I was smart, maybe if I could have learned and collaborated and worked together, maybe if we could have worked as a team and, and contributed together as a team, and maybe if we all got A's, my confidence would be higher. My confidence as a human going through the education system for 18 years being told I was dumb or failing was destroyed. Their confidence was very, very high. They walked around really proud of how smart they were because they were in the top 5%. The school system worked for them. You know, they, but they missed everything. They missed the point. No one ever cared about your A's. When you graduate, no one actually cares what you got in school. I mean, some do. Some like corporate world. Right, right. In the corporate world. Some of them do. Not Not anymore. Not in the corporate world anymore. Corporate world is actually starting to push back against MBAs now. Mm -hmm. They want kids who've got experience. They want kids who've actually been around. They want kids who have traveled. They want kids who collaborate, can research, can find information. You know, back in those days, you had to be the smartest one to memorize because there was no Google. There was no place to look it up. Right. But we were at the tail end of having to memorize everything. Right. And there's no reason to memorize nowadays. We're wasting our time. And it's our prime time. When a kid is five to 18, this is our development years. Why are we, as you said, taking the kid, making them feel like a failures or not, are not fitting in or bored or hating school instead of developing what is so, what is their talent and taking it through life that by the time they're 14, 15 already in Canada, they could start working at 14, 15, right? Legally, let them start. Let right. them start young. Why are we why are we debilitating? What what do you think is the reason? And how can we do little steps to changing that? I think the reason is because it's very, very hard for a system like school to tailor itself to the needs of the kids. So they're kind of st- stuck. I think what has to happen is the system has to be completely broken where we say, get rid of grades completely, let kids learn on their own, Mm -hmm. let's migrate kids through a system as we do already. But like, as an example, my 16 year old is learning in math right now about quadratic equations and having to memorize these bizarre math formulas. And he said to me that day, he goes, it's really stupid. I'll never use these. Exact words my daughter said last night before her test today. Now, exactly. at the same time, he has a business idea that's really legitimate, like a mm-hmm. very good, scalable, legitimate right. business idea. He would much rather be learning the math of a balance sheet and the math of a profit and loss statement yeah. and the math of buying products and selling and figuring out gross margin and cost of goods sold. He would be completely focused on that math and learning because yeah. it's interesting to him. And it wouldn't be very hard for the school system to let him go and learn that and present that and study that. But instead, he has to learn about the War of 1812 and North American Native Indians and quadratic equations. He's like, this is all bullshit. So what do we do? First of all, before I ask you, well, what do we do? One second, before I'm going to go to that, I want to address something that you said, which is you were making, you're making more money than the top of the kids. So let's say some Someone will play devil's advocate and say, you know what? I don't care about money. I want to, ca- I care about education. It's not about the money. So what do you answer to those people? I think that we have to remember that it's not necessarily about money. It's about letting kids learn for the sake of learning. If they want to learn about medicine, let them read about medicine. If they want to learn about science, let them read about science. If they want to learn about healthcare, let them read about healthcare, but let them learn for the sake of learning. Let them learn how to collaborate. Let them learn how to research. Let them learn how to find information. Let them learn how to present information. Let them learn about reading about the information, but they'll be inspired to learn about what they want to learn about. The subject matter isn't the point. If they right. want to write, they want to write essays about businesses. Let them write essays about businesses. Right. They want to write essays about polar bears. Let them write essays about polar bears. Right. 
reality is kids will be inspired to learn and then we can track them towards learning about things that will be helpful but every kid should have to learn how to balance a bank account every kid should have to learn about a basic PL because that's called managing your life and managing for profitability and manage for they should learn about real estate they should learn about renting they should learn about buying they should learn about you know investing and saving for retirement and for healthcare. Those are all things they could learn about. But but go with what their talent is and what inspires them and what they don't. Learn to delegate and, and, and teach them how to delegate and teach them that they're not yeah. going to be good at science, math, literature, and all that at once. You can't. The brain doesn't work like that. There's always something that you're good at and there's always something that you suck at and, and delegate it and it's okay. And that's how you become a leader and that's how you become something better versus capturing everything. Find out what you're good at. So I, I, I think that's a big point where the system irritates me to no end. Yeah. And I think if we actually remember that the way the world works now is with collaborating and problem solving and group and remote teams. And that's actually the way that not only business, but healthcare and education, everything is starting to go towards. I think, I think the big point is stop telling kids that they're stupid and start recognizing, as you said, you're not supposed to be good at everything unless you're the top two percenters. Right. Right? And, and about these kids that spend all their time to get straight A's and then they graduate high school with no social skills and no networking skills and no element of fun and no element of, you know, activities and sports. They're just really boring human beings. Right. But like, it could be that they're you know, ner- that's what they want to be, but they're very few percentage of the, of the human race that actually enjoy that. Right. So don't make that perfection. Because right. when we make that perfection, we're actually causing a lot of damage. Can I ask you why you don't homeschool your children? Um, mostly, I think it's because my ex-wife and I, who co-raise our kids together amazingly, don't have the, I think, skill set or patience to be able to homeschool. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've tried to find other ways to supplement that. And we also don't push our kids to get straight A's. We push mm-hmm. them to work hard and to study as hard as they can and to be pleased with the marks that they get but then we get them involved in lots of other activities. So I've taken my son as an example to two Genius Network business events with me this year where he spent time with all these other adults and a few kids learning about business, completely inspired. You know, we take them on trips to Europe every year. We each take them on a trip to Europe or somewhere. So right now I'm looking to take them somewhere over Christmas and New Year's where I can get them exposed to other countries. But, you know, they're 18 and 16 years old and they've been to 18 countries already. So I think we're trying to give them more of a global perspective and make sure that they're connecting with other kids. And, you know, they're both working at 16 and 18. They both have jobs. And so we're trying to get them out and socializing more versus thinking that high school is or the, the traditional school system is the only way. So some, as someone that suffered through the school system, I completely suffered. I'm definitely ADD, ADHD, dyslexic, suffered tremendously, but I was always the good girl. I was always the girl that was following the rules and doing what was supposed to do. And I felt like I was robbed from my childhood because I was so stressed and I was so nervous and until today, people make fun of me that I'm ADD and I'm seeing everything and I'm, and I'm all over the place. And even my kids say, mommy, focus. Like we're not talking about that, but I'm like, but my brain is talking about that now and you need to allow me. So what do you tell parents that need to be in the school system? Just like I do also, even though I can't stand the school system, 
what do we do when we have kids with mental health struggles? And to, about, what do we do with kids who learn differently? Learn differently. Okay. Or their brain is super active and thank everybody, God. yeah, thank God. And they're try, and everybody's trying to medicate them and to put them in the box. As a parent, what do we do in order to survive and not crush our children? Most of the parents have to go out and do some education of themselves to look at the people who are confident and successful that have operated with these differences and who have done it without medication. Henry Ford, Steve Jobs, Bill Gross, Ted Turner, two of the three founders of Netscape, all clinically bipolar, and they did not do medication. So maybe it's not a disease after all. You know, the hypomanic state that Elon Musk is on. Elon Musk is on the spectrum for Asperger's and he's, he's um, bipolar, but he doesn't medicate for it. We're not saying the medication is not for some people, but it's definitely not just because you can't focus in class. It's on the very end of the spectrum is where it's for, for people, but not for the 90% in the middle that are getting medicated. Do you know that only 3% of the population are bipolar and 3% of the population are entrepreneurs? Maybe bipolar disorder, which is nicknamed as the CDO disease, maybe bipolar isn't a disorder after all. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe it's something that we should be so proud that we have and feel honored. My sister was, um, my sister has a lot of ADD, ADHD children, highly, highly motivated, fun, successful children. And she was, uh, she started, she's looking to start a program in Israel that instead of making them secondary, they're the elite. Like they are the top. We're going to make them leaders and we're going to start a program. And instead of them being embarrassed of what their ha their their brain works, they're actually going to be powerful. Yeah, I, I think that's good. But again, that's also an awful lot of stress caused by parents. How about we just make kids really happy? How about we make kids engaged in learning and excited about learning for the sake of learning? But they will be. If they're happy what they're doing, they will be happy and they cater to... Yeah. If they're happy in what they're doing and they look forward to going to school because it's interesting to them, it's inspiring, it's motivating. If the, program, if the program is built and marketed as a place that we're going to grow all these leaders, that applies an additional amount of pressure on the kids all of a sudden. It's, in, it's basically saying you're not the secondary, you could be first. You could be first. It's your choice. And we're not right. going to put you with the dumb kids, quote unquote. You're, you can achieve greatness, even though you can't sit for 45 minutes straight without moving your feet. Have bouncing yeah. balls, run around, play ball, like do something that's active. Think while you're running. That's fine. Like she, she's trying to work on this program and I hope it, it's successful. I have a question for you. You sure. were saying that you you felt a lot um, of messages from the school system that you were not succeeding or a failure. How did you overcome that? Was it that a lot of therapy or was it your parents? It was no therapy. I didn't do my first therapy until I was 51. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Then I did 52 sessions in 12 months. Uh, <laughs> for real. Uh, and that was because of a divorce. My dad gave me the confidence as a young kid that I was really smart because of all the little business ventures that I was doing. So I knew I was smart. My dad also told me at a young age that he struggled with school and how he'd struggled with school and how even though he went all the way through dental school, he decided to go into business. So he realized his education was kind of pointless. So my whole life, I was kind of taught that just go to school for the sake of learning, but be around. And they were always talking about getting engaged in clubs, being a part of sports, getting involved, like 
that school was more about being involved in everything and meeting everybody. That was really what my education was more about. And they just always wanted me to work hard, but they never got upset if I only got C's. They always complimented you for what you did and trying hard. Did you try hard or you didn't even try sometimes? Uh, I would say I tried hard and then I often got to the point where I was like, doesn't really matter mm -hmm. I, I, because it didn't. So I would do other stuff. But again, you know, I had my first job at uh, 14. I had started running businesses when I was seven, eight years old. I had employees when I was about 12 or 13. I had, when I was 21, I had 12 full-time employees. So I oh my God goodness by, by, I was, wow yeah i was always running businesses and doing things and involved in sports like it, when you know i was in grade 13 i did cross-country running track and field golf team tennis team and volleyball hmm. all for the high school and wow. probably something else and student council you know i was on the top five people in the student council in the school wow. so so you didn't have I, time to feel bad about yourself no, because and you traveled, were and yeah. they traveled on a ski team on a city ski team as well so like i was i was really engaged in other stuff that school was just part of growing up. It wasn't the focus. It wasn't the reason for being. I'd like to take this opportunity to pause for a second and give a big thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. Have you been thinking of getting therapy for a while, but you live in a place that doesn't have therapists that meets your need? Or are they too expensive for what you can afford and you really want to get help and therapy? Or do you travel a lot and you can't access the therapist when you travel? Or do you come home from work and you're too, it's too late to go to an office for therapy? Well, BetterHelp.com is an online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists and choose from the therapist that meets your need. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash hope to recharge to receive your 10% off on your first month. Take charge of your wellness. Go try them out. They really try hard to match you up with the specific therapist that will meet your need. Don't wait to get help. Go now, betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. You can access them from your phone, your tablet, your computer. You can be in your bed and you can receive your therapy you need. Don't wait longer. So you're very lucky. You you are very lucky because your parents were there to to back you up that it's really not the number one thing. You have to become a good human and do what you do well and um, know what you do well. And school is not all, but most kids don't have those parents because we're so um, trapped in the mindset of the school system to graduate, to go to the next good school, to then to get accepted to the college. And it's like a rat race that as a parent, even though we don't believe in it, we get trapped in it. So you're very lucky that you didn't have that. Yeah. As parents, yeah, you started you started your first business when you were seven. Can you tell that story? Yeah, I was I was seven years old. I was living in Winnipeg, Canada. Um, these are the days when a remote telephone, you know, was a long phone with a long phone cord, and I pulled it into my bedroom and closed the door. And I had the yellow pages. Remember the yellow pages? Yes. And, and I was I was going through the yellow pages, and I was phoning dry cleaners, and um, I was asking them how much they would pay me for coat hangers, um, because when I was there with my mom the week before. She brought coat hangers back and they gave her a recycling fee of about two cents per coat hanger. That was back in the day when you got a recycling fee on coat hangers. Now we just throw them out, which seems so stupid. So um, I called the dry cleaner and I, I called all of them. And one of them was going to pay me three cents. And I kept asking for four cents. And he kept saying, no, kid, I'll give you three. And I said, how about three and a half? And he started laughing and he said, fine, I'll give you three and a half cents a coat hanger. And I, I remember 
being at a young age, not even knowing how he'd pay me for the half, other than if I gave him two, then it was going to be seven cents. So <laughs> that's a seven-year-old who understood fractions and understood math and understood negotiating and understood tenacity and understood, you know, um, not taking no for an answer and and understood how to sell and and understood, you know, writing down the prices beside each one. And then my mom came into the room and saw what I was doing. And she said, but where are you going to get all the coat hangers? And I kind of started to cry because I realized I'd been lying to her all week. I told her I was going out to play with my friends. And what I was doing was going door to door in the neighborhood. <laughs> I opened up my closet and I had about a few hundred coat hangers in my closet that I had been going door to door in the neighborhood asking people for them. And I'd been bringing them home and hiding them there. So that's, that was my first little business venture. But do you think that's because you are bipolar that your brain just couldn't stay um, just quiet? It was always looking for activity? Yeah. So the ADD allowed me as a kid to notice it and go, whoa, opportunity, buy low, sell high. Someone's going to give me money. I can get those other th things. And I didn't worry about how it would all work. I just started. That's the mania of bipolar. So the ADD allowed me to see the opportunities, to put it together in my head really quickly, to not worry about it being perfect. So I call it minimum viable everything. Mm -hmm. And then just to get off my ass and go do it. And then momentum created momentum. And then I had money or had and then I learned. Uh, did you have very big downfalls that you felt like you did something wrong because of mania because you you went into something thinking like you were on a high but the reality was different? I don't know. I think I think the the reality was that I was every little business that I did, I learned something from. You know, every little venture that I did, I pulled ideas from. A lot of those I still pulled together to this day. I think I learned at seven about the tenacity and the negotiating. And I still pull those lessons forward. So I don't think in any case, the reality hurt me. I think I was always just moving forward. Or you never looked at it as a, a win or a failure. It's a learning experience and move on. Whatever didn't work out, learn for the next thing and move on. It's not like, okay, we have to make $10 million here. If not, we fail. No, let's try it out. What works great, what doesn't move on, which, which is really hard with bipolar because the low can it can bring you down so low that you get frozen there and then you get depleted and not want to try again. How do you overcome that? I think I'm naturally tenacious, right? I'm naturally just, um, you know, I guess by doing so many things my whole life and seeing that tenacity pays off, not working, not worrying about perfect, right? I think you give up because you get frustrated that you won't make it perfect. Whereas you don't give up because you know you're going to get progress. Yeah, but it's really hard when when you're battling negative thoughts to actually be your own positive reinforcement, especially when the chemical is imbalanced. I think the world, well, I think for me, the world has trained me that I need to be my own positive reinforcement because I'm sure as hell not going to get it from other people. Right? I'm not going to get it. Like I had 18 years of being told I was dumb. I had to figure out on my head that I wasn't. Yeah, I used to sit in class and know that I was really smart because I was figure, I was kind of outdoing all these kids in other ways that I just let go of the stuff I wasn't smart at. You know, like a kid who's not smart in chemistry, but they're really smart in math or they're not smart in English, but they're really good history, I realized I was really good at all these other things, life skills, connecting skills, leading skills, business skills. I was really bad at biology and chemistry. So I'm like, oh, whatever. I don't worry about that. So I learned to give myself the positive reinforcement, That's which so I think important. is important for kids, right? Very important. We need to teach kids to love themselves and be grateful and feel good about themselves so that then they, they get, right? And if they get that confidence, it grows them up. 
But I think so many kids are beaten down that they just feel worse every day. Yeah. You talk about, I think it was in your TED Talk or one of your books about leadership and how um, people with ADD, ADHD, it's hard for them to have a boss. But on the other hand, you started the COO Alliance, which is second in command. So how do we become second in command when we don't want the first in command to be our boss? Well, I think it's different. COOs are very different than CEOs, right? And that's why I started a group for them because there's nowhere for COOs to go learn. So I'm very entrepreneurial, but I've played the second in command a few times probably because I'm a little more risk adverse because my confidence was shaken at such a young age that maybe I didn't have that, that confidence to go and do it on my own at times. But the CEO, most COOs have no desire to be CEOs. Most second-in-commands have no desire to be you know, first-in-command. They, they really want to build someone else's business. So they don't feel like they're second-in-command. They're basically the doers, and they're it's not, like, like, they're not like getting orders from anyone, really. Yeah. It's like most women don't want to be guys and most guys don't want to be women. We're kind of just like, oh, we see the other side, but we're really happy in our zone. Like most CEO, that may be a stupid analogy, but most COOs. I don't think it works like that in our generation so much. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to be female. Um, so, so most, but most COOs are really, really happy just running that part of the business. And most CEOs recognize they don't have the skills to run their own business. So it, so you, you would basically feel that as a team member, you're not, you're not, um, there's a word in Hebrew, like basically second in command, because you're so, you're basically running the business for the person and the person just funding it or has the big vision and yeah. you're, you're going for it. So you feel like you're really the core of the business. Yeah. I, I think it, it is the, um, the COO realizes their role is to make the CEO iconic. Mm -hmm. The CEO realizes their role is to support the COO who's helping them to build their business and build their dream. And they become a very yin and yang kind of a partnership, almost like in a traditional family where you've got a husband and wife who just say, let's divide and conquer. You know, you stay at home, you do this, I'll do this, you do that, you clean, I'll cook, you do laundry, I'll do yard, you do this, you pick up groceries, I'll store groceries, like you pick up the kids, I'll drop the kids off. Like you just have this divide and conquer together. And you realize you've got each other's back. Like, don't talk like that about mom. Mom's amazing. Don't talk about your right. father like that. He's working. Like, you just you just kind of figure that out, that groove out. Like, I love cooking. I don't love cleaning dishes. I like putting them away, but I don't like washing them. Right. I like emptying the dishwasher. I don't like I don't like um, I don't like washing laundry, but I love folding laundry. Oh, I really? Yeah, I love the feeling of the warm clothes. It's really fucked up. Mm -hmm. And I love cooking. Like, I love entertaining, and I love. And I can't stand yard work and I'm horrible around the house. Like you talk about like anything mechanical, I'm a disaster. Right, right. Right. So in the, so I, if my partner would be good at those things mm -hmm. in the business world, I'm very bad with numbers because I have dyscalculia and I'm very bad with a lot of details of like IT and finance. So I need a, a partner, whether CEO or COO, very good at numbers and very good at IT because I'm very good at the sales and marketing and PR and operations and execution and culture and people. Mm -hmm. But what if you have a talent? So you're very good with seeing things. So you see potential, you say, you see the markets, you see things evolving, you have a dream. And then you come to somebody and you say, implement the dream. And they're telling you, well, this dream is not a feasible dream. The numbers are not there. You, Cameron, you don't know numbers, so you can't do this. It's, and then they crush your dream. So what do you yeah. do? As a CEO, what do you do? As a dreamer. 
So the dreamer has to realize that you're going to be surrounded by people who will come to you with either questions like the who, what, when, where, why, and how of your dream, right? They'll give you the questions to figure out the plan to make your dream come true. Mm-hmm. Those people aren't crushing your dream. They're merely asking you questions to either catch up to speed with you or to help you make your dream happen. The second part is you'll get people that'll say it can't be done. That'll never be done. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. That's where a little bit of the entrepreneurial narcissism has to kick in where we say, fuck you, we can do it anyway. And I think that's where some of my confidence came in was when the school system kept telling me I was dumb. At some point, I knew I was smarter than most of the teachers and most of the kids. Like, but did remember- you have a fear? Like, what if it failed? No, I I remember actually in high school where it was probably grade 10, maybe grade nine, for sure grade 10 and absolutely by grade 11. I just knew I was smarter than every teacher in the room. Really? You knew it? Unequivocally. Now, like, you know, they were smarter at, Mr. Levin was smarter at physics and can't remember that Mr. Crucci was smarter at calculus and this woman who was smarter biology, but I knew they were shit shows with the rest of their life. Like I just all knew that I could out lead them and out manage them and out inspire them and out think them in so many ways. They're really good at their real tiny niche, mm-hmm. but I recognized that they just didn't have their lives together. And I saw that, but my peer group had become all the individuals who were members of a private golf club that I worked at. Right. So I was around all of these highly successful people and I saw what the next or a different group was. And I affiliated more with them than I did with my teachers. Mm. And then I saw the kids who were doing so well in school, but I recognized that they didn't really have some other things cooking for them. Or they were so inspired by stuff that I was doing all the time. I was like, wow, they're following me. Ah. Right? So I somehow my intuition kicked in with my ADD and I saw stuff that most people didn't see as patterns. So that's when I stopped caring about grades I was like, fuck it. I don't care. I remember going back to my economics class with, um, I don't remember the teacher's name. I remember him, but I would go back to this economics class in high school and I was late every day and I would walk in. I'm like, sorry, I was trading. Sorry. I was with my broker and I was literally day trading stocks over the telephone with a real stockbroker when I was 16 years old. And I would walk into my class late almost every day just kind of dismissing that I was late because I was trading stocks and my teacher thought it was fascinating. So I never got in trouble. <laughs> How did you understand point. stocks? Did you learn it? But or? That was also a turning point yeah. for me that what I understood was I didn't need his class as much as I needed to figure out Jim Wilkinson, who is my stockbroker and learn from him. True. True. Right? And he gave you permission. Uh, like he, he admired it in you and he's like, he's going to go, fly. I'm going to let him do his dream and whatever he's working on. And I'm not going to Well, that was it. real economics. Like real right. economics was like understanding a business, not like the supply demand curve of a country, which was. So how did you know that? How did you know everything about stocks? And, and my dad, my dad uh, said that he would, if I invested in the stock, um, that he would guarantee my losses. So if I, as long as I put a thousand dollars of money that I'd earned into a stock, if I lost money, he would make me even after a year. And if I made money, he'd split my profit with me 50-50. And all I had to do was go downtown and meet with Jim Wilkinson, a stockbroker, for two hours. And Jim would show me how the market worked. And then I could come home. So I was like, done. Your father sounds fascinating. My first, my first stock was Golden Knight Resources. It was a mining company. Terrible. Wow. Terrible? <laughs> my, dad, my, dad was, my dad was always about the hustle. And he was always looking for the next like you know, deal. And, and I think he was looking for, you know, these, these small mining companies. I wish that I'd invested, 
you know, that was 1985. If I'd put my money in Apple, I would have been a gazillionaire. Right, right. right? I loved Apple stock, but my dad didn't understand computers. Oh, so he didn't understand the future. I should have trusted my gut a lot of times with the market, with stocks that I bought and sold or bought where I was like, I should hold this. I stopped. I've, I've now started listening where there's stocks that I just won't sell. Right. Um, whereas I used to sell them and now I'm like, no, no, like these are, these are the long-term Warren Buffett holds. Like you just, you get in, you keep buying more, you keep holding forever. Right. And it's going to go up and down in event, but it's going to always go back up. So right. yeah. Did you, is your father still alive? He's still alive. Yeah. He's 70, uh, 78. I would love to meet him. He sounds he sounds fascinating. First of all, he sounds like an incredible role model. Great he, role model. Great role model of trying, of working hard. Life doesn't come free. You have to get hurt. You have to get out there. You have to innovate. And but he gave you confidence, which a lot of parents don't give. And I think I think one of the biggest treasure that he gave you was confidence and, and push you out the door and go do it. Yeah, he pushed us out the door and he gave us the confidence of being out the door. And um, I think that was really key. And then he was very present. Like he ran his own business, but he was at all of our own events. I remember one day when <clears throat> we had volleyball practice, you know, most of the, the kids' parents didn't show up for games. My parents were at every game of every mm -hmm. sport. But one day he came and he was volleyball practice. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like sitting in the gym watching us practice. I'm like, this is practice. He goes, I know. I thought he'd come and watch. I'm like, there's no one here. <laughs> <laughs> and he like sat up in the stands and read the paper and watched volleyball practice. I'm like, wow, this is so weird. But it was also a bit of a pride that my dad gave a shit. Yeah. I find that you do the same with your kids. You're very present in their life. You're really well, present. Yeah. Like yesterday I had to fly to Chicago for a birthday for a 50th birthday party on Saturday night. And when I flew back Sunday, my son was playing rugby. And so I sent my ex-wife a note and she said, yeah, there's about another 45 minutes left in the game. I said, great, I'm going to come straight from the airport to the game. I'll catch the last 35 minutes. And I got to the game and I was standing there with my suitcase and my backpack. That's and my so kid came off During one of the, the whistles, my kid came off and gave me a big hug. He's like, what are you, what are you doing? I said, I came to watch. And you can tell a feeling of pride that I was there, there because you saw my suitcase. For sure. For sure. That's something I think that your father really gave you. And I could see it in your life. He really sounds fascinating. And you're lucky to have had him as someone that really was not the ordinary kid that the school system wanted. And uh, and he really gave you the tools. And you're really, really lucky. I, I know you have to go in, in two minutes. I have two more questions. Maybe three. Yeah, okay. I've got about six more minutes. Okay, fine. I want to be very, I'm very um, punctual with time and especially other people's time. First of all, do you feel that being bipolar, ADD, ADHD impacted your relationships with loved ones, friends, yeah. colleagues? Yes, um, impacted me because it's hard for me to stay present. My mind's always racing. So that's hard. The stress and depression at times can be hard because it's confusing why I was so excited three hours before or the day before, and then I'm, I'm burned out. And then some of the manic decisions that I make, like I make decisions and I pay the price later, mm -hmm. can be expensive. So what do you do to deal with those relationships that you really care about? Try to be very present, try to make sure they know I love them, try to make sure that they um, get included in some of the decisions. Sometimes I ask them and then I'll try to use that as a way to slow down. So you learn tools over the years, how to improve with the way your mind works and how to not say, this is who I am, accept me the way I am, even though it impacts you and your life. Yeah. And I think it's because I'm, a, I'm an intuit, like I'm very intuitive and I'm, I'm a feeler, like I really feel people. So if I've hurt them or like, I feel their reactions, I feel their feelings. So I think I've learned, I don't just 
blow through stuff and not care. I blow through, but then I, I notice as well. So I, I think I've learned along the way. Very important. It's always important to innovate and change and, and learn from, from things that didn't work out, how to make it better. Like just like in business, didn't work out. How do we make it that it doesn't happen again? Very important yeah. lesson. One of my last questions, if I have another minute, I'll ask the last one to oh, ask yeah. everybody. When you when you feel those dark moments, what is your hope? I think for me, it's recognizing that it's just a stage. It's like a physical roller coaster that once when it's down, it'll go back up. And when it's up, it'll go back down. So not to worry about it. No one's going to praise me for my high, high energy and my crazy work. So no one's going to really give a shit if I'm down and depressed. So take some time off. I don't work nights and I don't work weekends anymore. Like mm -hmm. I really do decompress and, mm -hmm. and recognize that I need some time to be with friends and be with family and decompress that I'll never catch up. So that's giving myself a break. It's allowing me to recharge. I think I just give myself a break. Like if I'm tired, I just lie down and I have a nap or I'll go for a walk or I'll go for a run or I'll go to the gym. Like I just, and not beating myself up about it. Or if I'm having a rough day, go, Oh, I'm having a rough day. But it doesn't define me. I love that. I think it used to define me. And now I go, no, I'm just, mm -hmm. I would rather have this because the, the high energy is why people follow me. It's the excitement. It's, it's mm -hmm. they'll buy from me. They'll join me. They'll, the stress and depression is simply me recharging. You know, I don't get upset when I plug this in to recharge. He's why talking about upset? his phone. He's talking about his phone and they're not seeing you. <laughs> so why would I get upset when I plug myself in, right? I need to, to just plug myself in and be okay with that. Not only that, it's important because we'll, we'll be, we'll be dead and burnt out and then we have nothing to give. We're, it's so important to not beat ourselves up when we're having a hard moment and just say, it's okay. Check out. Goodbye. Tomorrow's another day. Well, because the reality is none of this actually matters. This is just what we do to make money. Mm-hmm. Or relationships do matter. So it's, it's if it's like a fight in a meaningful relationship. Right. What I mean is our work, like what right. we do to make money doesn't right. really matter. Right, right, right. So right. the day-to-day -day grind. Gonna, right. The day-to-day -day grind. Really, right, 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 right. So focus on what's really important and check out if you have to. And go for a movie or take a drink or go out to eat or take a nap. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever yeah. works. Yeah. What is, okay. if, you had a, if you had a magic wand, what would be... Your perfect world with mental health awareness. What would be my perfect? I think <laughs> it would be. I think it would be to stop telling people that they have a problem, and start telling people that they're different and they're okay, and to recognize that they're different and okay, and some of those differences are their strengths. Mm. And what unless about you're, unless yeah, you're so far out on the spectrum that you're dangerous? Right. But maybe we're maybe we're not all supposed to be the same. Hmm. And and not not talk about it as mental illness, but take, talk about it about mental being. Mental differences. We're just different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like men and women think very differently. Men are men are not hairy versions of women. We we think completely differently. We completely differently. Women are better to they they collaborate better. They're better at consensus. They're better at at solving problems together as a group. At, at learning from each other. That's a very different, unique set of traits that men don't have. Where we and not, neither is better. We're just different. The same with every human. Every human mm -hmm. is different. We notice things differently. We sense things differently. We have different sets of experiences. And stop telling us to be the same as our teacher. Right, and that can break the stigma and make people more aware and and get the resources they need in order to survive with whatever with ever differences they have. Yeah, and speak out about it and find the people that can support you. 
and make you greater versus put you down and medicate you because you just don't fit into the classroom or to the office space. And I think those are where some of the opportunities come in, right? Right. Hey, yeah. we've got to jump. I've got to be yes, on call. Yes, thank you. Can you just tell them where they can reach you? Sure. All of my books are available on Amazon and Audible. And then my main website is Cameron Herald, H-E-R-O-L-D, but CameronHerald.com. And then also my podcast. I run a podcast called the Second in Command Podcast that they should all check out. Yeah, Second in Command Podcast, Cameron Herald. And also, if you, you're a COO, I definitely highly recommend the COO Alliance Group. Phenomenal. You'll grow so much in your business and in a person and networking. Really phenomenal. Thank you for joining me here. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk again, I'm sure. Thank you, Matana. I appreciate it. Have a great trip where you are right now. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.